from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be with you guys tonight, Thursday night edition, and our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I want to jump into a few things, all right? First of all, we've got the Hollywood actors are on strike. They're saying, you know what? You're going to go through an entire summer without Hollywood. Oh, no. What will we do? Ay, bendito. I have no idea what I'll do. Listen, I, I can't remember the last time I went to the movies. I'm still trying to get out to see this film that everybody's talking about, The Sound of Freedom. Um, I think the, uh, the, the, one of the folks from the studio said they were sending me a screener. Never got it. Just like they said they were sending one of their actors. Never got him either. Um, I, I, I wish them continued success. Uh, despite them not making it our way. I hope they're doing a, a, a good job getting their people out in front of everybody to have more and more blowout weekends like the one they just had where they made $40 million. Now, I um, haven't been to the movies in a while, and I can't imagine how not having Hollywood is really going to destroy me. Or you or anybody else. I think everybody's going to do just fine, right? I mean, some of my favorite TV shows... Are, are kind of on hiatus because, well, because their writers have been on strike. And I think we've all been just fine. There's plenty of entertainment coming out of uh, Washington, D.C. to keep us very entertained, right? Uh, in, in a huge shock, upset, a totally unexpected um, outcome. Just kidding. The Secret Service says, listen, we don't have a suspect in the White House cocaine scandal. So cocaine gate will go unresolved at least uh, for the public, right? Maybe somebody knows who did it, how they did it, where they did it, but they won't tell us. I, I had a feeling that was going to be the case, and that's where we are. The Secret Service originally uh, reported that they've concluded their investigation into the bag of cocaine that was discovered in the White House, but no suspect has been identified, according to two sources uh, per CNN. We're going to talk about that and a couple of other matters uh, with Cash Patel, he's scheduled to join us in a little bit. He's the uh, former uh, chief of staff at the Pentagon, and it was also a the the chief investigator for uh, the RussiaGate investigation when Devin Nunes was um, House Intelligence Committee chairman. So we'll um, get to the bottom of that in a little bit. Another uh, interesting tidbit here. <clears throat> Where'd it go? There's a mayor. This is a one-off that I was going to get to. I meant to get to this yesterday, but I just wanted to share it. A mayor in, uh, let's see the name of this town. Hold on. It's a small town in Georgia. He was arrested and charged with burglary after one of the uh, homeowners where he broke into the home held him at gunpoint. You know what he said to them? Do you know who the blank I am? I'm the mayor. And I'll wait for my police to get here and see what happens then. Yeah, 
That's funny. Well, this guy is an interesting background. Uh, Democrat mayor in Georgia was arrested and charged on several counts of burglary and trespassing on Saturday. He uh, was the founder of the Atlanta Black Lives Matter chapter. He's now out on an $11,000 bond. His name, Khalid Kamau, K-A-M-A-U. He's the mayor of South Fulton in Atlanta and was charged with uh, criminal trespassing, first-degree burglary after allegedly entering a lake house. He stated, I just wanted to see the house because I thought it was abandoned. Oh, I see. That's typically what mayors do when they see an abandoned homes. They go inside and help themselves. The lake house uh, allegedly had a very visible private property sign on the fence around the house. And according to Fox 5 Atlanta, the owner had him at gunpoint until the officers arrived. So kudos to them for holding him at gunpoint. Uh, now, um, when when on the phone, Mayor Kamau yelled at the homeowner, do you know who the F I am? I'm the mayor, and I'll wait for my police to get here and see what happens then. That's a quote from the 911 tape. Khalid Kamau is the first Black Lives Matter organizer to be elected to public office in the state of Georgia, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And his um, donations for his initial campaign used the platform Act Blue, which is another uh, Democrat um, fundraising apparatus. So uh, I'll continue to touch on that story throughout the, the night and into hour number three, because I think it's just an interesting story. Uh, but his arrest is part of a string of controversies that have taken place since he took office. Officers had to shut down an Easter egg hunt that he was hosting earlier this year because he didn't actually get a permit for the whole activity. Imagine that. Now, city council members, uh, Natasha uh, Williams-Brown, who's actually replacing Kamau along with other city council members, they sued him this year to remove him from office. Their suit alleged that Mayor Kamau was repeatedly betraying the confidence of the city and the city council by intentionally and knowingly disclosing confidential information uh, that pertained to the city for his and others related to him to for their personal benefit. So interesting... Um, Interesting situation going on there. And I just thought the things that happen locally, right? And then you think we've got it bad everywhere else. Anyway, so uh, we're going to continue tonight on, on various topics. Um, like I said, that's just one of the several topics that we've got. Uh, I also want to talk to Cash Patel about the, um, the cocaine investigation. And I'm wondering, is it because they have, they've found uh, the bad guy? And they just don't want to say, you know, uh, it belongs to so-and-so or it's too soon. Or is there really just entirely like more to it? Like, uh, you know, we just don't know. We're not going to work that hard. It might end up embarrassing somebody that that we don't want to embarrass. I don't know. I don't know the answer. But I'm very curious to find out um, Cash Patel's take on that. Uh, who else are we going to chat with? Uh, Professor William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor. He's the founder of the Equal Protection Project, and uh, he's uh, bringing to our attention how LinkedIn, the social networking um, app and platform and website that 
helps with job search and, and professional networking actually um, was manipulating their candidate pools for their job advertising based on race and other categories that are typically protected categories um, under EEOC or, you know, under the Equal Employment Opportunity Law. So hmm, we'll get to that because I think that's fascinating to me with what we're seeing uh, play out. And then we're going to talk about Bidenomics and uh, central bank digital currencies and the de-dollarization of the United States and, and how that affects us and how it could eventually be uh, financial chaos like Bidenomics on steroids. So we'll talk about that with Carol Roth. She's got a, a new book out, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So anyway, don't go anywhere. We're going to continue with your calls and conversations straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Biden Inc. strikes again. How can in the White House, 24-7 security, they find cocaine, but now they just close the investigation? Where in the country does it get treated like this? Only with the Bidens, is, with the Bidens in charge, there is no equal justice. All right, that's uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy discussing the Secret Service's failure to disclose what happened, who put it there, how did it get there? And he didn't stop there. He went on. Listen to this. What I don't believe is how can they not answer the question? I think I'm saying the same thing every other American is answering. It's in a cubbyhole in the, in, the, in the White House by the Situation Room, and you can't tell me who put it there? So the Secret Service has reportedly concluded their investigation into the bag of cocaine that was discovered in the White House, but no suspect has been identified. And this has been the news that we've been, you know, reacting to all day. They looked into visitor logs, surveillance footage, and everything else that happens in the West Wing uh, in the days, you know, following what happened. And apparently they've come up short. Now, listen, that would have been my prediction. But what do I know about this stuff? That's why I wanted to bring in somebody who who has a, a very good understanding of what's going on on Capitol Hill. He worked as an investigator uh, on the House Intelligence Committee. He was the uh, national security advisor uh, when Devin Nunes was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. He was uh, the main investigator there. He also was chief of staff at the Pentagon, and he's a former federal prosecutor. Cash Patel, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I think we can make this quick. The cocaine belonged to Professor Plum in the library who conspired with Colonel Mustard in the study. So we can just put it correct. <laughs> it's a good old-fashioned game of clue who done it. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's sad when uh, the politicians are becoming so predictable. But I got to tell you, I do believe that if enough pressure is put on this, because this is so unprecedented, at least in, in my lifetime, I can't remember the last time the media was reporting about cocaine in the White House. So I feel like 
if you leave the American public hanging, and I understand it's the middle of July and this might die, but if we can keep it alive, blow a little smoke, keep the embers going, I feel like come November, people are going to say, but there was cocaine in the White House and nobody literally knows how it got there. Do you think this has much of an effect on Joe Biden or am I just wishful thinking? No, look, what the American people react to, and I'm talking to the American people who are busy living their lives, feeding their kids, taking care of their family, and who sent leaders to Washington to worry about national security, the economy, and the overseas policies. What they see now is that narcotics were found next to, if we're to believe the White House, the situation. Well, at first they were down the hall in the East Wing, and then they moved. Yeah, library. Yeah. And just think about this. Just put it this way for your viewers. What if during the Trump administration, when I was in there, they found a bag of cocaine in this, next to the Situation Room, the room that guards our secrets, the room where we go in to conduct national security missions, where I was the night we killed Baghdadi with Donald Trump? What do you think the media would do? People are picking up on this two-tier system of justice, and more importantly, not the corruption, but the cover-up. And I think that's what you're alluding to. 100%. And, you know, the old saying, the cover-up is worse than the crime— uh, I think mm-hmm. they needed to come out with a fall guy. They needed to come out and say, look, this belongs to so-and-so. They're getting the help that they need. I feel like there's always an easy way out for Biden, and he never takes it. He always goes with the with the harder option that I think ultimately uh, I feel like it might it might hurt him. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I, I feel like people are going to want to know why there was cocaine in the White House. And I don't know that this is satisfactory for anybody, Cash. I think you're absolutely right. People, you don't have to be an investigator, a prosecutor, a government guy, an intel guy to know that what they are doing is running the cover up. But the one thing you can rely on government gangsters to do is not just to be corrupt, but they will always double down like Chris Ray lying during his congressional hearings or to the world and not disclosing the evidence that Congress subpoenaed. People are starting to get ticked off and say, why can't you just answer the simple questions? And why can't you just tell us who committed a felony? inside the grounds of the most sanct, uh, sacred uh, area we have in the U.S. government, the White House. It's a simple answer, not we can't figure it out. That place is the most guarded institution with the most surveillance camera and the most law enforcement on planet Earth. Are we to now believe that we have the most inept law enforcement and secret service? I don't believe that, that they can't figure out who done it. You know, I- I'm looking at this and I think, I, I'm trying to be hopeful. And my, my thought here is, is it that they don't have a clue? Is it that they're coming up short? Or are they saying we don't we won't identify a suspect at this time? Like maybe we got one. We're just not telling you. Do you think that it, they might just try to handle this on the hush hush? It's definitely the latter. And look, gone are the days where this is a right wing conspiracy and it was just a mistake. People realize after Russiagate, after the mishaps of Jan 6, after the Donald Trump baseless prosecution, after Joe Biden's handling of classified documents that were unlawful and his bribes from China with his son, people now know the corruption that is installed in the White House with this commander in chief. So gone are the days where, oh, no, look at you guys. Here come the Russiagate guys. Here comes the hoaxers and the conspirators. They now know this happened. They now know we have been telling the truth all along. And all they want is some simplistic accountability. And the fact that the U.S. government can't give it to them on a felony possession of cocaine, where you and I would be arrested overnight as we should and prosecuted, they are seeing that this is coming to their doorstep across America. 
Yeah, folks, let me just remind everybody that we're on with Cash Patel. Cash is former national security advisor to the House Intelligence Committee and DOD chief of staff during the Trump years. Uh, He's also the author of the book, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. I want to make sure that I remind you about that. And we'll talk a little bit more about the book uh, in the next segment. Um, I also want to talk about Christopher Wray and the hearings and all that uh, and the indictment of the whistleblower for the IRS. And I think that's probably a good segue right here in the about a minute that we've got left in this segment. The, the, do you find it at all interesting or surprising? And I know it's kind of a cynical question that they've indicted the whistleblower who was blowing the whistle saying, oh, you know, we were trying to to, you know, uh, go after to follow the facts with Biden here, but they told us not to. And all of a sudden now this guy's in trouble. Now, that's their game. Look what they did to these brave whistleblowers at the FBI. America's hip to it. They exposed corruption for Chris Ray and Merrick Garland, who have been hiding it from the American people. And when they do these maneuvers to mask the truth, which is what they are doing, and shield the American public from the facts, you don't, it doesn't matter what the subject is, cocaine, whistleblowers, Russiagate, what have you. These cast of characters are the same folks that perpetrated these crimes against America, and Americans are starting to see it and demand answers. Yes, sir. Uh, it's a sad truth. Folks, Cash Patel, uh, check out his book, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. And you want to get a couple of copies of the book uh, because, A, we had to wait forever for it. Right. Uh, the, the manuscript got tied up uh, with legality. And what, what, what was the date that this came out or is it coming out right now? Mid-September is the release date available for pre-order right now on governmentgangsters.com for signed copies, Amazon and everywhere else. And yes, I had to file a federal lawsuit for this manuscript from the same people who are withholding information from the American public. And it took me nine months to get it released. That's what we were up against, but we were never going to bend the knee. There's got to be a reason or a million reasons why they don't want you to see this book, but we're putting it out there. So folks, make sure you, you can go right now. It's available for pre-order on amazon.com. Check it out. Government gangsters, the deep state, the truth and the battle for our democracy. Now straight ahead, we're going to get into Christopher Ray's testimony. Why did he decide to not tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Like we expected him to. Well, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, I think we could speculate there, but we're going to find out what cash Patel thinks about that. Uh, plus, we're going to find out the big takeaway from Chris Ray's uh, big testimony yesterday, which to me was just really disappointing, uh, if, if nothing else. Anyway, don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, Cash Patel. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. By the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, Thank everybody. You, it's always nice to check. 
I like to see, even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So as a result of the actions of James Comey, the disgraced James Comey, and the FBI, they've interfered with the elections in both 2016 and 2020. Will that interference happen again in 2024 by the FBI? The FBI is not going to be interfering in elections. They did in 2016. Well, I, I don't know that that's what Mr. Durham found. What I would tell you again is that it was conduct that I consider unacceptable and unrepresentative. You can be in denial if you want to. I'm not in uh, denial, Mr. Dr- You can be in denial on this. That's exactly what happened. Okay. So there you have um, FBI Director Christopher Wray. Uh, seemingly, um, usually he's pretty cool, like a cucumber. He doesn't really care, right? He's like, look, they pay me whether I'm here or not here. <laughs> but, uh, he, you know, when he says, look, you can be in denial, he's like, I'm not in denial. That was the first time I've seen him use a little bit of emotion. And uh, it, it's fascinating how he says the FBI is not going to be involved in any, in any um, interference. But the problem is they're already doing it. Who's conducting these investigations on these federal indictments, or at least the one federal indictment and the other one is like a quasi-federal indictment in the city of New York. Um, it's the DOJ, right? The FBI. These these are the guys that are investigating this this current case, the Mar-a-Lago case. So uh, for him to say that with a straight face, number one, is the beginning of uh, the, the heap of BS that I think he's shoveling. But there's more, right? I want to bring Cash Patel back here because um, there was obviously so many different parts of this testimony. We're not going to get to them all. But what's your initial reaction to him saying that the FBI is not going to interfere in the uh, 2024 election? Well, pretty simple. They've already done it. We know they did it by burying the Hunter Biden investigation, and they didn't break that story just before the election because they didn't want the world to know about Biden's corruption. We know they're burying the information surrounding the use of confidential informants on January 6th for election rigging purposes. We know that this director launched an 80 member task force around election integrity, and I'm using quote marks, to weekly meet with big tech. FBI met with Twitter and Facebook on a weekly basis in the run up to the election to tell them what to censor and what not to put out. That is the definition of election rigging. So when that man speaks in the well of Congress under oath and says, we are not in the business of interfering with elections. That is the only business you are in. And the American public, Democrat or Republican, while some won't admit it, can see the truth and can see his lies. And he must be impeached for that conduct. Yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, I think the question is, w- will it happen, right? Do, do you think McCarthy, yeah. you know, politically speaking, do you think McCarthy will will have the, not even the courage, but really just the the political ability, I guess, right? The, will, will everything match up and it be the right time to pull the trigger and do something like that at any point? Well, if there's ever time, it's now. And I know you saw the breaking news story that we launched tonight where FBI Director Chris Wray and then Attorney General Rod Rosenstein launched an unlawful surveillance against senior congressional staffers, me and others, to surveil and investigate us while we were executing the Russiagate investigation and exposing their corruption. So I want Congress to galvanize around the fact that this is going on, not just against me, but against so many others. And the purpose of an impeachment, let me remind you, yes, ultimately to remove someone from office, which won't happen in the Senate because of the votes. 
but it's to have the trial, to get the documents out, to get the people in witness chairs for the American public to see under oath and question them seriously on what happened. They did it to Donald Trump baselessly twice. So this Congress and Kevin McCarthy must act now when there is an actual factual basis to remove them. And you owe us, Congress, the documents. You owe us the actual information going into an election cycle um, so that we can cure the administration um, with the electoral process that's supposed to happen and not with their lies that they are putting out there in their disinformation campaigns with their friends on um, the Democratic side. Now, we've seen them do this to others, uh, you know, namely President Trump, but it seems like they're doing it to just everybody, anybody they can to to surveil, to investigate, to eventually kind of suppress your your ability to to do what you do. Mike Flynn. Right. They they shut him up really well. Uh, then they mm-hmm. said they were going after his kid. Um, what's the remedy? Is it is it enough to get rid of Christopher Ray, or do you, do you, does this persist? I mean. The other stuff happened before Ray was there, and it was just as crooked. Um, Look, the remedy, of course, is to remove incompetent, ineffective, and unlawful actions by government gangsters like Chris Ray and Merrick Garland. But I think that the remedy here for right now, and our our, our founders wanted change to occur slowly, is to educate the American public through this process. So that's what has to happen. We can't have change overnight. That was never envisioned by our constitutional republic. But right now, we need our elected representatives in Congress and the leaders and the chairman and chairwoman positions to pony up and say, we have enough to go on. And we don't need to investigate a thousand things. We need to pick three serious things, the, the, whether it's the whistleblowers or their unlawful surveillance of me or Christopher Ray's lying about election rigging, and put that front and center for the next year straight, every single day. Congress must have the bandwidth to get together and, co- and collaborate and unite around. And here's the tragedy. If they don't, the FBI, our lead law enforcement agency, is not serving the American people and failing us and making right. us less secure. They're letting cops, excuse me, they're letting criminals, rapists, murderers go across the country because they're assigning all these agents to surveil us for political vendettas to make sure Donald Trump doesn't get back into office. That is the very definition of a rogue state. Uh, of a deep state run amok. And that's what we need to cure. That's our job. And your audience job is to call Congress and demand accountability um, in whatever form they wish, but they should be calling their members of Congress every day. Yeah, I I agree with that. And and listen, I I think it's incredibly important for Congress to exercise its constitutional duty and its constitutional mandate and function of providing oversight. However, in, in doing so, I feel like we, we, okay, great. We've blown the whistle off everything. We've had the Nunes memo. We've had prior to that, we had the Benghazi hearings. I mean, I, I, I think so many people are like, I've heard enough. You've made your case. It was a great slam dunk case. Now, how do we hold them accountable? And that's the part I think everybody gets lost at is that you put out all this stuff. People say it's a conspiracy theory. It's never really evidence because nobody wants to hear it. A criminal referral lands on deaf ears. And nothing happens. How do we how do we bridge that divide? There's one measure that Congress can take, and we utilize it during Russiagate, and it's the appropriations process. These government gangsters can't survive without our taxpayer dollars, and that's the thing. Right yeah. now, our taxpayer dollars are going to fund big tech FBI collusion and election rigging. And the, look no further than the federal judge in Louisiana, who launched that brilliant decision that caught the FBI 
Facebook and Twitter and the other big tech companies collaborating and censoring free speech. Mm -hmm. So what Congress has to do is pull the financial levers. That is, I'm not saying defund the FBI. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we can take pockets of their money through the appropriations process and say, Chris Ray, your government funded G5 jet is grounded until you show up with the documents and testimony you owe us. And Merrick Garland, your fleet of new cars is grounded. And your new FBI headquarters dream project is never getting off the ground because we're not going to fund it. That is the one thing they will answer to. Chris Ray is currently in violation of the law by violating congressional subpoenas. That's a felony. Look what they did to Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro for violating congressional subpoenas. They prosecuted them. This is a two-tier system of justice, which we must level. And it's up to us to do it, but it's the Congress must pull these financial levers. So whether they impeach him or not, they have the majority. They can take their money in pockets if they choose to in the fencing and appropriations process. That is the bridge. That's what they must do. That's what we we must call for. Wow. Uh, I, I love it. The power of the purse, tighten it up and see what happens. Starve them of cash, which is what they're most addicted to in Washington, D.C. Folks, we're on with Cash Patel. Uh, Cash is the author of the book, Government Gangsters, the Deep State, the Truth and the Battle for Our Democracy. Uh, Cash, stick with us for uh, just a couple more minutes. I want to wrap up with a couple of questions. And uh, if you have a question for Cash, give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. Just on the question of, of a concern about going on for years, um, is there a possibility that there's a stalemate in this becoming? I'm sorry. The question of whether the war could go on for years, is there a possibility there's a stalemate and it can continue for quite some time? Well, I don't think the war can go on for years for two reasons. Number one, I don't think that the uh, Russians could... Uh, could maintain the war forever, number one, in terms of their resources and capacity. Number two, uh, I think that uh, there is going to be a circumstance where uh, eventually uh, President Putin is going to decide it's not in the interest of Russia, economically, politically, or otherwise, to continue this war. Um, But I can't predict exactly how that happens. My hope is, and my expectation is, you'll see that Ukraine makes significant progress on their offensive and that uh, it uh, generates in a negotiated settlement uh, somewhere along the line. So that's uh, President Biden uh, saying he doesn't think the war can go on forever. He's also said that maybe Ukraine could uh, consider joining NATO once the war's over, but he doesn't know when the war ends. So Cash Patel, former Pentagon chief of staff, I'd like you to put your your uh, foreign policy hat on as a former Pentagon man. And uh, what, what do you think is going on here? Do, do you think Biden has any intention of actually leveraging the 
the office of the POTUS to to actually influence this war in a good way to make it end? No, and you don't need to take my word for it. Look at his past actions. He has sent 120 billion American dollars to the Ukraine. He has sent tanks. He has sent cluster bombs, weapons of war and mass destruction. He has sent a myriad of contractors over there to train. Americans have to train the Ukrainians on these weapons. So to say we are not in this war is too cute by a half. We might not have uniformed soldiers on the ground, but we are there. And every instance he takes, including tonight where he uh, cheekily authorized the activation of select guard units to go over to Europe and handle this measure means he does not end, see an uh, end to this war anytime soon, nor will the left-wing media and that's a culprit that we must highlight in everything we're talking about. The fake news mafia wants Joe Biden to prop up this Ukrainian war for as long as it takes, because for some idea, the people who are against war are now all of a sudden all for war because it is achieving some sort of fictional headline narrative that they think is good for the world. War is not good for anybody. And the fact that our commander in chief doesn't know how to resolve it shows you the difference between him and President Trump, who ended the forever wars. I ran the Afghan withdrawal. We got out of Syria, Iraq and Somalia uh, based on intelligence. And you saw what Joe Biden did to that. He lit it on fire in Afghanistan. He does not know how to get us out of any wars. He knows how to start them. And now we are seeing these resurgence of Al Qaeda in Afghanistan and around the world. And what those guys do better than anything else is wait and plan. And that's what we're doing because Joe Biden can't focus on any one thing, let alone a multitude of issues regarding America's national security. Yeah, lamentably, that seems to be uh, the case. And I also think that he's just got too many irons in the fire. And it seems like it's uh, politically expedient for him to maintain this war and just make Mm -hmm. sure he's got something, you know, to make himself a wartime president, you know, where he's not really at war, but he's kind of overseeing the war and helping the war and. Uh, I think uh, he feels this helps his reelection and, and maybe it does, you know, who knows? Uh, I think there are some people out there that you could, you could sell the idea that I am providing stability. So you got to vote for me again. Not a lot of people, but uh, a couple uh, cash Patel, before you go, I want to bring in Roland. He's in Augusta, Georgia, WDGA with a question for you, Roland. Very quickly, yeah. you're on with cash Patel and rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, with all that Biden is involved in, especially the stuff with his brother and that alleged $5 million bribe and all that, and allowing the balloon to traverse our entire nation and get all that information, and all that he's done to boy and support China, is not that enough grounds for him to be impeached? And you're it, saying, like, it, uh, for treason or something, right, Roland? Yes, he has been treasonous. Got it. Thank you. While it is enough grounds for impeachment based on his conduct, I think it is politically a waste of our time to try to impeach him. Rather, we should be impeaching Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland because we don't want political theater. We want, like you just stated, those facts are out there for the American public. Now we need to know the level of the depravity and corruption. And the only way to do that is to get the FBI and DOJ in the hot seat because they're running these investigations and hiding the whistleblower who are bravely reporting on them and castigating them. And we need the facts, whether it's the bribery scandal, whether it's the FBI corruption, whether it's big tech collusion or what have you. And the the heart of all of that is our law enforcement agencies, which have been completely weaponized. 
So we have to get after it. And that's a big part of my book, Government Gangsters. So I hope everyone goes out there and gets it at governmentgangsters.com. We, we're beating them. We're going to show you the roadmap. Donald Trump called it the roadmap to winning 2024. And there's got to be a reason they spent uh, nine months trying to bury this book. So it's all in there. And uh, we've got a lot more coming. And, you know, I'm so glad to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. Thank you, Cash. And folks, again, the book, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. Go to governmentgangsters.com, pick up a couple of copies, give one to a friend, keep one for yourself. Cash Patel, you're a patriot. Keep up the good work. Godspeed, my friend. Let's do it again soon. Thank you, brother. Have a great evening. You too. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night with Rich Valdez. All right, see, we got calls from Pittsburgh, from North Carolina, from all over the place. I want to go to Matt, Eastern North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hello, Rich. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Thank you, brother. Very good. Um, I would like to talk to Cash, but unfortunately I missed it. But, uh, from all the evidence that I can collect, I think it was Hunter Biden's cocaine in the White House. I mean, who's kidding who here, you know? I'm a better investigator than a Secret Service, myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, listen, this is one of those where I'm just, um, I'm starting to believe, based on the fact that they won't tell us whose it is, that it's got to be somebody who would really be embarrassed by it. Like if it were like, oh, we found that it was our, one of our senior staff uh, writers for uh, communications department that handles speech writing. Um, his name's, I don't know, Tom Delacula. <laughs> Let's just say it's uh, a guy named Tom Delacula. Um, what, what, would, what would happen? Well, what would happen is that Tom Delacula would be embarrassed and have to come up with answers for his family and lose his job and whatever, and that would be the end of it. But it's not. Right. So obviously it's something more like uh, this belongs to, you know, somebody who it would really embarrass the first family, embarrass the White House, et cetera. So I don't know who that might be, but I do know it's not a good look. And that's why they're they're covering it up. And like I said, the cover ups always worse than the crime. And, and that's what makes me think, man, either they're just not that smart or they're just trying to make this worse than it needs to be, you know. Because uh, it seems like the whole thing has gotten away from them. I think if they had it their way, they would have suppressed this story and been like, no, no, it was anthrax. <laughs> it wasn't cocaine. And I realize there's legality and stuff like that. Uh, but interesting, interesting point, Matt. Thank you. Let's go to Pittsburgh, KDKA, oldest station in America. Mike, go right ahead. Well, it's a pleasure to be on your show, Rich. Love Thank the you, show. Sir. Likewise. I appreciate uh, that. I'm a self-published investigative reporter, which means that I analyze, scrutinize things that the media, law enforcement, and everybody else would refuse to investigate. Mike, get to your point quickly because the music's going to kick us out. What's going on in America is called synchronized crime. It's a term 
that I coined when I was doing my investigation. Synchronized crime. We're going to have to pick up where we left off. Try us back in open phone America. Folks, we're coming right back. More to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be with you. We're live, we're national, and you're welcome to join the conversation. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And again, some of the um, headlines today, the big story today, the Secret Service has ended their investigation into the White House cocaine scandal, uh, which I'm calling Cocaine Gate, uh, without identifying any suspects. I think this comes as no surprise to to many of us that are cynical. Uh, I guess others are like, oh, man, I was waiting to find out. And I think others are just don't even care. They're like, oh, come on, you could find cocaine in any bar you go to. Who cares if you can find it in the White House? Right? Because some people are just so cynical they don't give a damn about anything. Uh, then you've got, let's see here, the uh, previous, um, un- previously anonymous IRS, IRS whistleblower, excuse me, uh, will testify in uh, the Biden House investigation that's coming up. And another one of those uh, IRS whistleblowers was um, charged. So uh, interesting um, turn of events going on on a number of fronts. Now, there was also a story last week. Um, you guys remember when we talked about um, federal judge, Judge Doughty, and Judge Doughty's um, temporary injunction saying that the federal government, the FBI, et cetera, et cetera, can't collude, if you will, with big tech companies, in particular social media companies, and that this um, wasn't cool, right? It wasn't copacetic. Um, and, and there was some response to that because clearly some people were upset with that decision, right? There were a bunch of legal analysts on on television and, and elsewhere just um, kind of railing about this not being um, an overreach uh, of the government, that this is really, you know, that the, the judge got it wrong, that, that type of thing. And one such uh, person... Let me see. What number did I ask for, Count Delacula? Any other number? Eight. I, yeah, I like eight also. Um, all right, so we have uh, two here. We're going to go with the shorter of the two. This one's less than a minute. Um, Walter Isaacson, professor at Tulane University, he's on Morning Joe, and he, he says that the judge's ruling on big tech and government, uh, that government, in effect, has its own right to have its own free speech. Listen to this. 
And I think Judge Daugherty's decision goes too far. We're in the press. We're always used uh, to people from the government saying, hey, don't print that. But what the Twitter file showed, and in my book I talk about the night after night when they're releasing these files, is that it went a bit far. It wasn't just government saying don't uh, print things or, or amplify things about, say, uh, the uh, Barrington Doctrine, which talks about the spread of COVID, it was somehow coercing a bit. And what was worse, the social media companies didn't just play along, they colluded and tried to stop some of the flow of information. So I think this is a little bit of a corrective, but I clearly feel that in the end, the decision will be refined somewhat because government has to have the right to have its own free speech to push back when they see things on social media they think are dangerous. Now, I think some of what he said made sense, but that final statement that the government has to have a right to its own free speech to push back when they see things on social media they think are dangerous. I, I, I would imagine if, if you um, are the mayor of a town or these attorneys general right now that recently took exception to uh, the clothing that's being sold in their states by uh, the retailer Target, that they've issued a letter saying, hey, look, this is on our radar. Um, if that's what he's describing, great. But if he's describing, you know, I don't like what Rich Valdez or others are saying on the radio or on social media, and we want to curtail this uh, idea that Biden is somehow a corrupt actor, then I say no. I think, you know, whether you agree with me or not, I still need to be allowed to say what I'm saying without being stifled by social media. But what do I know? And that's why I want to bring in an expert, right? Our guest, Professor William Jacobson, uh, professor of law at Cornell University and the founder of the Equal Protection Project. Check them out at EqualProtect.org joins us. Professor, welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Now, I know we're going to get into uh, the topic of uh, LinkedIn manipulating their candidate pools uh, based on race and some other protected categories. But in the, the larger scheme of talking about censorship and social media, before we make that segue, um, am I... Um, being overly sensitive, you think, uh, in listening to the commentary that you just heard the recording of? Uh, or does the government really have its own right to free speech the way I have my own right? Well, the government may have a right to its free speech, but they don't have a right to stop your free speech. And that was really right. the issue in that 155-page decision, which went into exhaustive detail on the government interactions with big tech and social media. So that's where the government or some commentators have it wrong. Government can say whatever it wants, in a sense, but it can't contact Facebook and said, hey, we don't like this person, what this person is saying, and twist their arms or pressure them or a nod and a wink to get them kicked off Facebook or get their posts censored. So that really is the issue. It's not what the government can say. It's whether the government can stop you from saying things. Right. And in effect, this is what was happening and why they have this lawsuit to begin with, which is why I think some of the commentary I hear on TV, I think, you know, saying the judge went too far. I think the judge is a hero. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think so, too. I think there will be an issue on appeal with how broad the judge is. Uh, injunction is. The government is saying that it, this is not just preventing us from interfering with other people. This is actually preventing us from having normal conversations that government might want to have with social media and big tech. You know, we have information we want to get out there also, and that 
this is going to chill our ability to speak. So substantively, I think the judge is 100 percent right on. I think where he may get nitpicked pretty severely by an appeals court is how broad his injunction was. And in sympathy to the judge, the way the government did it, it was, you know, it was death by a thousand cuts to people. There were, you know, hundreds and hundreds of emails and text messages and conversations. How do you regulate that? How do you stop the government from doing that? And so that's where I think he might have problems on appeal. Understood. Now, uh, parlaying that into uh, the topic at hand, which is the the biggest professional networking platform out there, LinkedIn, another social media um, application in its own right, um, is now being accused or found to have manipulated candidate pools for jobs that are available on the website based on race and other, you know, EEOC protected categories. And, and I think that this is, um, not, again, not a surprise. Uh, we've seen the, 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 another big ruling that just came out, uh, you know, reversing affirmative action. And, and I think Will things like this continue where you still you strike things down, but you're going to have admissions policies or LinkedIn uh, algorithms that are still going to hold true to what they believe? Well, this is something that we raised at Equal Protection Project, which is their diversity in recruiting program at LinkedIn. And what it Mm -hmm. is, they have tweaked their algorithms. Nobody sees it. Nobody really knows what's going on, but they do it. Admit it. They tweak their algorithms so that when they present pools of potential employees, candidates, potential hires, job seekers to employers, they manipulate those pools to give a diverse pool. So if you're an engineer and you're applying for a job, they don't, their algorithms don't just look at your your grades in college or your job experience or, you know, where you worked or what your specialty is, it will also consider if you've consented, which probably most people do, they check the box that LinkedIn can use your demographic information. They will then tweak that pool and take into account other things. So they're basically discriminating against people on the base of race and other factors as part of this diversity and recruiting program. And that's how they're manipulating it. And, Getting to your point about what the Supreme Court just decided, this is how the Supreme Court's admonition that you can't use race as a factor in admission and by implication other ways is going to be evaded. They'll plug it into their algorithms. They'll plug it into their artificial intelligence. They'll plug it into their program, and you will never know. And that's why I think what's happening at LinkedIn is so important. Yeah, and I want to get uh, into some of the nuts and bolts of that straight ahead. Folks, we're on with Professor William Jacobson, uh, professor of law, Cornell University's founder of the Equal Protection Project. Equalprotect.org is their website. And we're going to continue the discussion on how LinkedIn uh, has been manipulating their candidate pools based on race and other protected categories. And uh, I'm glad you're calling them out for it because, again, it seems like Using big tech uh, is the the latest way to circumvent so many different uh, uh, protections we have. And uh, if if we don't see it coming, who will, right? Folks, uh, stick around. We're coming back with Professor William Jacobson straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Professor William Jacobson, our guest, uh, professor of law at Cornell University, founder of the Equal Protection Project. Check them out at equalprotect.org. And our discussion is on uh, the findings and the um, issue that was raised by Equal Protection, uh, equal, the Equal Protection Project, uh, regarding LinkedIn, the um, networking uh, application, and how they were found to be manipulating their candidate pools based on race and other protected categories. And, of course, this is um, a backdoor way to use technology to get around what, what the the Supreme Court just decided, uh, but it has a deeper and broader implications. And uh, Professor Jacobson has a piece on legalinsurrection.com where he has a whole follow-up letter to this, but I'd like him to walk us through some of it. So, Professor, feel free. Well, sure. So what LinkedIn does, it's diversity and recruiting program. And what they do is they, when you sign up for LinkedIn, you can check the box and you probably don't think very much about it time about whether you give LinkedIn permission to use your demographic data. If you give them that permission, then they will use it when you apply for a job or when you uh, are, are looking for work oh, wow. to, yeah, so they, uh, this is what they say on their website, and I don't think they deny it. They will then use that data to put you into a diversified pool of people. So you are being treated differently based on your demographic data than if you, uh, you know, were otherwise not including that. And so the point is that it's not even clear how much the employers know about what's going on. LinkedIn has not been forthcoming with that information. So what this does is it really skews the whole pool. If you um, qualify for their diversity criteria, then you, in a sense, get a plus factor. You will get promoted as they diversify the pool, whereas if you don't qualify for it, then you don't get that promotion. So this is exactly, in, in many ways, it mirrors what Harvard was doing uh, to the detriment in Harvard's case of, of Asian students, mostly, uh, where they take you know that demographic information into account in order to achieve diversity. And the Supreme Court said, at least with regard to university admissions, you can't do that. So it's really something that LinkedIn is not very transparent about. They don't reveal exactly how they manipulate these pools, but they do admit that they adjust the pools. They don't admit what the employers know, except they say the employers can't use this to screen people. But, you know, what what does that make a difference? Because LinkedIn is the one doing the screening based on Mm -hmm. these protected factors. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn throughout its website has repeated, you know, uh, promises that they don't tolerate discrimination. And, you know, at almost every level, they say that we do not discriminate. We don't allow it. We don't allow others to discriminate. If you make suggestions in your job postings that you might discriminate, we'll take you down and kick you out. Yet this is exactly what LinkedIn is doing. So they're, they're violating their own promise to the users to maintain a discrimination-free environment. And LinkedIn is enormous. LinkedIn, I think, has tens of millions of people who use it, maybe more than that. They're mm-hmm. owned by Microsoft, so they're part of one of the biggest tech companies in the country. And when we raised this issue, they didn't bother responding to us. But when media reached out to them, say, oh, well, all we do is we're just trying to help people and promote diversity. 
yeah, but you're doing it in a way that Supreme Court says you can't do it. You're doing it in a way you say you won't do it on your own website. Your own anti-discrimination rules don't allow to treat people differently based on their demographics. So LinkedIn should stop doing it. But they're big. They're massive. And there's no indication yet that they're going to adjust what they're doing. Now, tell us a little bit about um, the Equal Protection Project and why this was of interest. Sure. Well, we started EqualProtect.org in February of this year. Uh, It's an outgrowth of the other work that we've been doing at our main website, which is Mm -hmm. LegalInsurrection.com. I believe at that time we had Amir Benno on talking about that. Great work, by the way. Yep. And uh, so we have, uh, yeah, he's our director of of litigation at the Equal Protection Project. And so what we do is, you know, we have fought, we, our principle is that there is no good form of racism, that we're disgusted by the fact that some people have really uh, perverted the American civil rights movement, which stood for treating people fairly without regard to race or ethnicity, and have really twisted it and have convinced themselves throughout academia, which is where I work, and now it's spread to corporations, that as long as you're discriminating against certain people on the basis of race or ethnicity, it's okay. And we reject that. And we reject it not just because, you know, in the case of Harvard, it was discriminating against Asians or a lot of the programs that we have challenged at at EqualProtect.org have to do with programs only open to non-whites, for example, that's very prevalent flat, open discrimination, but we're against it no matter who it's against. Uh, and so that's, that's our principle. And that's why we took an interest. We learned about what LinkedIn was doing. It seemed a particularly um, sneaky way of putting discrimination into the system. And we felt we needed to expose it. And that's what we do at, at Equal Protection Project. We brought many claims, many issues to the surface, sometimes a little bit of sunshine and a little bit of public shaming will cause mm-hmm. you know, people to change their behavior. Other times it doesn't, and you need to take legal action where, where it's warranted. Uh, and, and that's what we do. And that's, you know, we've been very successful, even though we're only a few months old. Well, you know, they say daylight is the best disinfectant, and uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, Professor William Jacobson, let everybody know how they can uh, find out about the work you're doing at the Equal Protection Project or uh, at Legal Insurrection. Sure. So our main website is legalinsurrection, one word, dot com. And uh, our newest website is equalprotect.org. That's equalprotect.org. And uh, we welcome you to come and visit. We've got dozens of news items that, you know, about us at the website. Outstanding. Professor, I want to thank you for being here. Godspeed to you and keep up the great work. Great. Thanks. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussion on Bidenomics, central bank, digital currencies, and more. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Your calls and more straight ahead. Breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. 
And we continue our discussion on what's going on in the world. Bidenomics, the sanctions against Russia, ESG, inflation that was at a 43-year high and is now starting to uh, dissipate. But is it enough? I don't know. Plus, there is conversation on the central bank digital currencies. So much going on that I wanted to get uh, the scoop from Carol Roth. She is a uh, recovering investment banker. You might have seen her on TV. She is the uh, author of the new book, You Will Own Nothing. And that's coming out soon. So make sure you um, head over to wherever you get your books and uh, pre-order a copy or two. Carol Roth, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me and a good evening to you. Thank you. So let's um, let's dig in here because it seems like a really timely book. Uh, and I remember uh, not that long ago, somebody talking about you will own nothing and you will be happy. And uh, they were like World Economic Forum people. And, and I remember seeing it all over social media. And and I thought that's profound that they would be so forward. Um, but again, that's me. Right. I'm looking at it conspiratorially <laughs> thinking, oh, these people are out to get me and, and private property rights and everything else. But uh, I realize that, that they have a plan and they're executing their plan. And I don't really have a plan. Right. My plan is the status quo. And I guess defending the status quo or what was once the status quo. But uh, they seem to be gaining traction. Tell us about the namesake of your book. Yes, I had a similar reaction to you. You know, obviously you're on Twitter. You see these things come by. You'll own nothing. You'll be happy. And people are making memes. And you kind of figure, eh, somebody probably took this out of context because the Mm. World Economic Forum is littered with the political and business elite. And as you noted, there's no way that they would be predicting the end of private property, let alone by 2030. So you go and you look at their video for the top eight predictions for 2030, and you see the number one prediction is you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And as somebody who has stood for helping people create wealth for more than a quarter of a century now, I know that wealth comes from ownership. And, you know, ideally you want to have assets that you know, hold their value and appreciate in value. So when you are predicting the end of ownership, that's sort of predicting the end of wealth creation opportunities, which does seem very strange and brazen from these political elites, until you realize that there are all of these shifts going on globally in sort of the financial world order mm-hmm. with you know the US's debt level and our standing you know in the world and in the world economy and then you realize you know if you are wealthy and well connected and you see this happening and you know that this has happened throughout history do you want to you know kind of sit back like you said status quo and just hope it works out for you or do you want to proactively make sure that you are controlling as many resources as possible? And so as I started to explore all the topics that you were talking about, uh, social credit, CBDCs, ESG, Wall Street coming to compete with you for your home, big tech renting your life back to you as a subscription or a service, it just kept coming back to that phrase. It kind of hit me on the head, you will own nothing, you will own nothing. So that mm-hmm. ended up being the through line for all of these different forces is coming at you. Well, you know, that, that's a, a fascinating take. It really is. And I'm glad you've written this book. And, and one of the things you said right now really uh, stood out, and I'm sure there's a number of great topics and, uh, and what we just mentioned and rattled off. But 
One in particular is Wall Street competing with you for a home. And, and this is something I'm seeing more now than I've ever seen in my life, right? My brother has always been in the real estate business and he always um, would say, look, if, you're, if you got cash and you're looking to buy something, buy a foreclosure. Banks have tons of properties that they don't want. And that's not the case anymore. Now he's, banks have all these properties and they're managing these properties and they're buying properties and more banks are getting into the real estate game as opposed to trying to get rid of these troubled assets. And, uh, and, and now it's single family homes. And I do see people actually competing for single family homes. And uh, I find it amazing. And uh, it's something where I, I don't know that we give enough attention to it. I don't know if people are really uh, as attuned to it as they ought to be, but tell us about it. Yeah, this was probably one of the most staggering pieces of research that I found when I was uh, doing the research for You Will Own Nothing. The reason why you don't remember this happening before is because it didn't exist before. Before 2010, there was absolutely no meaningful corporate money in the single-family home market. After the Great Recession financial crisis and all the disruption that happened there, the fact that Wall Street got a bailout and Main Street Americans had to give up their, their houses by the millions, whether it was to foreclosure or to, to short sale, the Federal Reserve policy and the government policy was basically to create a bunch of easy money. They lowered interest rates, they printed a ton of money, and it gave these Wall Street investors access to you know, all different kinds of, of uh, opportunities. And they kind of ran up the asset prices in just about everything, and they ran out of places to look. So in 2010, with you know, all of this housing available, they started going in to the single-family home market and competing with you, which if you think about it in the context of wealth creation, the home is that symbol for the American dream. You know, if you think, yeah. about, think about it, you know, it's the house with the, the picket fence in front of it. And not only that, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because it is the largest asset on most households' balance sheets across households by dollar value. So it's what's driving wealth for Americans. So now you have Wall Street firms that are coming in. As of 2022, one out of every five homes approximately, a little bit more than that, was sold to a corporate investor. And those investors weren't looking to buy these houses and fix them up and flip them back to you so you could live in a nice house and get even more wealth. They're looking to wrench you the American dream. And mm -hmm. then they're trying to sell you that it's for your own good. And if you go back to where we started, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. They want you to buy into this. They want you to buy into the fact that you are giving up your biggest wealth creator as an American. And it's just stunning. And I'm with you. I, I can't believe that more people aren't talking about it. So I'm, I'm excited that, um, one, you're having me on tonight to highlight it, but that I got to really kind of go in deep into this as, in a piece of the book. Yeah, likewise here, uh, because again, I, I like the way you're drawing it together. I honestly, when I heard this, um, and again, I talked to my brother, he's in this business. Uh, I never, um, really, and he even said it to me. He said, yeah, it's that whole world economic, uh, economic forum that you'll own nothing. I was like, all right, Lou, thanks. Thanks. Keep listening to those guys on the, uh, on, uh, you know, those, those streaming websites, <laughs> you know, and I, I always bust his stones, but, uh, I didn't put the two and two together the way you did, uh, right now where, it, they are creating a society where ownership isn't um, 
an option. And another thing I've noticed is they're putting, there's a new style of building. And I hadn't seen that before either, where they're, you know, they're either building lots of housing right around a mall or creating housing where there's everything available, like right downstairs, almost like, you know, a poor neighborhood in New York City where there's a bodega and everything else (laughs) around you. But these are not poor neighborhoods. And these are really nice little, uh, you know, what they're calling 15 minute cities. And it's just interesting how they're trying to eliminate um, one's ability to traverse freely and, and you don't need a car and we're not going to let you get a car because we're going to use ESG to make sure you can only have an electric car or you won't. And, and I, I don't know if I'm making too much of it or not, or we'll use our CBDC to freeze your money and make sure you're buying what we want you to buy uh, and, and or rent what we want you to rent, right? Because you're not really allowed right. to own anything. Exactly. And, and, and exactly. you know, the further I go down this rabbit hole, the more upset I get. As, as you should, and, and that's the, the plan here is to empower you with the, the knowledge so that you fight back because you'll notice the phrasing is you'll own nothing. It's not I'll own nothing. <laughs> right, as, as right. Right. They'll own everything. Like, this is all about you. Like I, I pretty much, you, know, you, you look at the World Economic Forum and everybody's eating the steak that's you know, supposedly so bad for you. They're flying there in their private jets. They all have a bunch of mansions that are, by the way, on the waterfront. So apparently they're not really worried about the sea levels rising. You really right. need to follow their actions versus what they're saying, other than that sort of you or I de- uh, kind of definition. But I think it, what's really important about this discussion, and you hit the nail on the head is that the the original you kind of part of this discussion the first places that started bubbling up were people that are kind of nutty let's be honest right that they're you know they may get things right sometime but you're not they're not the most credible sources what i'm trying whack to jobs. do absolute is, whack jobs <laughs> that, that's the technical name for them yes i, I yes. think so <laughs> and, and but what you do is you you take the conspiracy out of it by putting it in their own words and letting them tell you the story themselves. Like, you don't have to believe me that there's going to be a, a new financial world order. You can go to the White House's website and you can see Joe Biden saying it to the business roundtable on March 21st, 2022. These are all things that are super well sourced from, you know, high level sources, a lot of sources that you, you know, might not agree with as, you know, sort of corporate press, but ones that I think the average person would say, well, you know, they may be running cover, but they're, you know, they're not conspiracy theorists. And I think that's really important because a lot of this stuff, you would think if you hadn't lived through the past three years that, uh, yeah, it's it's phony and it's fraud. Yeah, exactly. You think it's nutty, but we can't, we can no longer ignore that. We've seen what happened during COVID. We saw the infringement on our rights. And certainly that's not something that seems to be stopping anyone from trying to jockey to get into position and make sure that they have the stuff. And really, you know, they don't care if you've got anything. Uh, Carol Roth is the author of the new book, you will own nothing. I rec- I'm really recommending that you get a copy of it and take a look at what she's talking about because it's important. Uh, and something else you mentioned in the book is the de-dollarization of America. And I want to get into that and, and the role of the central bank digital currencies and, and how that is, um, A, how it's already rolled out with FedNow, and B, what the, the second phase of that might look like for everyday Americans. And we're going to do that straight ahead, plus your calls. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with Carol Roth. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, Richie V here, and I'm with Carol Roth. She's a recovering investment banker. I hope you get better soon. Uh, you've seen her on TV and, of course, the author of the new book, You Will Own Nothing. And uh, I was asking about the de-dollarization of America, of our currency, and uh, the potential for it to be replaced by a central bank digital currency. The Fed now digital currency is already out there and it's working um, at the interbank level. And uh, my supposition is that they're setting the stage to roll it out eventually for everybody. But what do I know? I'm just a um, WEF hating conspiracy theorist. Carol Roth, what say you? All right. So I'm going to actually kind of break down a little bit about this that I think some of the folks on the right who maybe don't come from financial services are getting wrong. So the thesis is correct. We are moving in the direction of central bank digital currencies. We had a pilot program with the Fed, uh, the New York Fed, and about 12 other financial institutions about this on the wholesale level. The G7 came out with their principles for retail-facing CBDCs. This would be a disaster. This would be basically any time you went and spent anything, there would be full transparency by the Fed and the government into what you're doing, and ostensibly that if they wanted to, quote-unquote, bring down the inflation that they caused, they could go, well, you know, instead of us using the tools we have, like raising interest rates, we're just going to cut off access to your money because, you know, we can destroy demand if you can't spend anything. So, like, it, this has a lot of really crazy implications, as well as a potential tie to social credit. You know, you and, you and I, Rich, are talking about stuff that they don't like, so they say, sorry, you know, you can't have access to your money. I think where people get the Fed now system confused is that the Fed has been so untrustworthy, and with the government, they have been the biggest transfers of wealth from Main Street to Wall Street in history, and they have just you know completely destroyed the um, stability of the dollar both here in the U.S. and on the global stage, which is you know the de-dollarization part that we can talk about. But Fed now is not actually a currency. Fed now is part of the internal plumbing, the payment systems. So if you use a wire transfer or ACH to get paid, you know, those are kinds of the, the plumbing of how you get money from point A to point B and how it gets cleared through the bank. But it takes a long time. You know, there are people who get a paycheck, they go and they put it in their account, they don't have access to their funds for multiple days, and so they have to go get a payday loan if they're living paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, it's just kind of a bad system. We're here in, in 2023, you should be able to do that quickly. And so what Fed now does is creates faster access to that on a sort of 24-7 basis. So it's really more about the internal plumbing. What I would say is it actually takes away the biggest reason to have a CBDC. They can no longer say, oh, we need, you know, faster settlement and, and payment or whatnot. But it's not actually a currency. Now, could it be somehow linked to it? Maybe. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what we really care about is that the currency, which requires congressional approval. 
And I think it's really important that we understand the distinctions because if we start raising havoc about the wrong things, that when we do about the right things, then they come back and say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You were upset over this. It's a conspiracy theory. So we need to stay laser focused on the actual central bank digital currency. Is that, is that a helpful explainer? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel like they're, they're setting the stage, you know, getting the bugs out, making sure it works. All right. This is how we're going to move the money around so that when we roll it out, we know what we're doing. It's possible. Um, You know, I think they might use something a little bit more sophisticated. One would hope (laughs) if it's the actual currency, but again, it's our government and the fed and they never do anything right. Um, But you know, hold on, Carol Roth, hang on. My producer says I have to take a quick pause. So we'll come back. We'll wrap up and remind them about the book and hold that thought right there. Folks, we're on with Carol Roth. Uh, She's the author of You Will Own Nothing. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, welcome back. Carol Roth is our guest. She is the author of You Will Own Nothing. And Carol Roth, I wanted you to finish the thought you had and then let everybody know how they can get a copy of the book. Yes, I feel like we could talk for hours and hours on this. So I think the point around de-dollarization that I want to make is that, you know, these are all symptoms. They're not the ailments. You know, at the end of the day, the the major global economic empires, they don't get changed by outside forces. They implode from within. So what we need people to do is we need them to empower themselves with the knowledge about what's going on and then have that plan to fight back because the elite may want you to own nothing, but I most certainly want you to own everything. And that's why I I wrote the book, You Will Own Nothing. So it is uh, available for pre-order everywhere. It's officially out in in people's hands on Tuesday, anywhere you get your fine books. Um, you know, if you like big business, Amazon's great, but think about supporting a, a local small business bookseller as well. And, uh, I'm on Twitter at Carol J.S. Roth and, uh, really, really enjoyed the conversation and you have the best bumper music in the business. I have to say. Oh my goodness. God bless you, <laughs> Carol Roth. You've earned yourself a visit back. Uh, Folks, get two copies of the book. You've got to get two copies of this. Give one to a friend. This is required reading over the summertime. You Will Own Nothing by Carol Roth. Follow her on Twitter and check. What's the website, Carol Roth? CarolRoth.com. That's easy enough. CarolRoth.com. Make sure you check it out and uh, stay in touch with what she's doing. And we're definitely going to have her back. Good luck with the book release uh, upcoming. Hopefully we got a bunch of uh, folks tonight that are listening, that are going to pre-order and uh, hoping that um, the solutions that you put in that book, somebody actually takes heed. Thanks, Carol. Many thanks. All right, folks, Open Phone America is coming up straight ahead. The number, you've got it, 833, the number 4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES. We're coming right back, so don't get too comfortable on the break because it's Open Phone America, and it starts right now. I'm Rich Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? It's the third hour of the program tonight, Thursday night. Uh, in some places, it's already Friday because we just passed midnight. Uh, but welcome to the show. Happy to be with you, Rich Valdez, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Of course, at Rich Valdez with an S at the end on all of the social media. And the phone number if you want to join us on our late-night town hall conversation. We're live, we're national, and uh, looking to speak with you. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I want to start with yeah, Biden. You know, he's been all over. He was in uh, Finland yesterday. I think was he in Finland again today? Is that where he was? Helsinki's Finland, right? And so yeah, so he's been there for a couple of days, man. This Biden, he's Mister Worldwide. But um, and we have a bunch of audio from yesterday that I didn't even get to because I, I mean, how much Biden can you do, right? Um, so we're going to do some Biden. I promise. We'll get into some Biden. Uh, but he, he didn't say anything too crazy. But what I really want to get into is yesterday we had a guest, Yako Boyens. And he was terrific. He is a uh, anti-child sex slavery advocate fighting against human trafficking, the trafficking of children for sex slavery and whatnot. And fascinating topic of conversation. If you missed any of it, definitely check out the uh, replay of it at our website, richvaldesamericaatnight.com. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. You can sign up for the podcast. You can hit replay. Just hit the little triangle. Listen to any show you want. They're all there archived. And that's just a quick plug on the, uh, the podcast for the show. By the way, the podcast of this program, uh, which is, you know, again, just the digital replay of this radio show minus um, an hour's worth of um, commercials, is being considered for a People's Choice Podcast Award for the category that it was submitted in. I forget exactly what category that was, but uh, the People's Choice Podcast Awards are coming up and uh, we are in the running. So I wanted to thank you, each and every one of you, the listeners, for making that possible. Now, I want to go back to talking about Jaco Buyans. And part of what he discussed was his work and what he's discovered over the years. And this is a, an ongoing problem in the United States. However, not everybody's taking action, but they did take some action in California. And there was a bill before the uh, legislature, the state legislature in California. And before it could even really advance, it was taken out by Democrats uh, within the uh, state house that came against the bill. Listen to this news report. Well, I can tell you it was a complete shock to many of the people who support this bill. And those who were there this morning, they could not contain their outrage. Cowards. The California Assembly Committee on Public Safety just blocked a bill that could have made sex trafficking of minors a serious felony, a crime eligible for penalties under California's three strikes law. 
Today, they blocked our children from being saved. Odessa Perkins is a human trafficking survivor. She was forced into that horrific world at a very young age. Odessa doesn't sugarcoat what happens to children who are trafficked. This child, their innocence, can be stolen a hundred times a day. Then the next day they have to wake up and it can be stolen another hundred times that day. And for those kids who are, who do get out two, three, four years from now, how many bodies have been on top of their innocent, young, small body? That's how important it is to combat human trafficking. Odessa, along with other human trafficking survivors, went to Sacramento to show their support for Senate Bill 14. But the outcome is not what they expected. Uh, the outcome is not what they expected because they, they fought against it and, and it's not happening, right? They've killed this bill. And it's, uh, it's a shame. Again, that's uh, the report from Gina Silva, Fox 11 L.A., and I, I listened to that and I think, you know, coming on the heels of uh, what we heard from from uh, Mr. Boyens, what we keep hearing in the media, the different testimonies that you hear and, and clips that you see because of everybody kind of uh, feeding into the hype of the uh, film. And rightfully so. The film on on human trafficking and sex slavery, The Sound of Freedom, that's been out there. And uh, I just can't help but think, man, this, this could be... Um, something that we make an effort to make better. And instead we're making it worse by turning a blind eye. And I think this is absolute craziness, right? It's absolute crazy town, but this is the situation that we're in. And it makes you wonder what is the benefit, right? What is the benefit of somebody opposing a bill like this? Of course, I mean, you know, you're going to rack your brain trying to come up with that reason. doesn't seem like there's a ton of good reasons for it uh, other than you want to continue to see that activity progress and continue. And, and I just don't think that's I can't imagine somebody wanting that. Uh, I think this is uh, just a bad situation. Again, I'm sure there are people out there that want that people that have a, a selfish interest in in uh, in promoting that type of crazy, but uh, I just can't imagine, right, how somebody in, in good conscience would do that, but perhaps that's my own na- naivete. Um, I'll take your calls on that and everything else that we're going to get to, and we're going to get to a couple of other topics tonight. Uh, we're also going to discuss, let me see, I have a little rundown for you here, the Hollywood strike, if you want to weigh in on that. Uh, and here's a headline that's new today, but it was new like 20 years ago. Soda sweetener, aspartame, some like to say aspartame, believe it or not, uh, has been listed as a possible carcinogen, a cause for cancer. Yet they're saying it's still considered to be safe. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. That sounds pretty fishy to me. So we're going to get into that as well. Uh, plus a little um, international focus as well. So don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. It is Open Phone America, this third and final hour of the program. You're welcome to give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. 
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. My second question on that note to uh, Mr. President Niinistö, uh, hearing this answer that no one can guarantee a future, are you worried that the political instability in U.S. will cause issues in the alliance in the future? Let me be clear. I didn't say we didn't guarantee it. We couldn't guarantee the future. You can't tell me whether you're going to be able to go home tonight. No one can be sure what they're going to do. I'm saying as sure as anything can possibly be said about American foreign policy, we will stay connected to NATO. Connected to NATO beginning, middle and end. We're a transatlantic partnership. That's what I've said. I don't know if I'm going home tonight. You don't know if you're going home tonight. But what I said is we're not leaving NATO. Listen, the United States has uh, I wouldn't leave NATO either. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that might want to, but I wouldn't be one of those people. Uh, I think we just uh, have to manage NATO a little bit better, being that we put it in all this money. And, um, you know, we should get our, like they say, our fair share, right? We should get our fair share out of it. But I want to continue our conversation on all of the topics that we had tonight, including Biden and NATO, if you want to jump into that one. Uh, And uh, let me give you the phone number, 833 Four eight two five three three seven or eight three three the number four and my last name Valdez V A L D E S and uh, let's go let's grab some of these calls here right let's go to Alex who's calling from Brooklyn New York he's listening on W F A S and Alex uh, tell us what's going on with Joe Biden hello can you hear me yeah loud and clear go right ahead oh okay uh, so Joe I mean, we finally know what they give him. We found out last week with the cocaine. So things are starting to make a little bit sense. You look at so many people in this administration, Karine Jean-Pierre doesn't even know what her job is because she keeps on saying, ask the other guy. Well, you're the press secretary. Your job is to answer the question, not to refer people to different departments. So, I, you know, she's maybe also on it. Kamala Harris cackling like she's off completely her rockers. Things are starting to add up. But... So the biggest problem is still the fact that Joe Biden destroyed the country, and that's what's going to hurt him the most in the general election coming up. But but I did want to comment about the cocaine being found at the White House because I hear yeah. some people saying, hey, this this is in the news too much. And it's like, why are you still covering it? Okay, it was found at the White House. Big deal. Move on already. But this is an ongoing scandal. The the problem isn't yeah. so much. I, I don't think you move on. This is a good 12-month scandal, in, in okay, my opinion. This, this, it won't last that long, but it should. It should. This is like, I mean, imagine if they just left the cocaine there, right? Everyone would say, hey, talk about it. They're covering it up. The cover-up is the biggest issue about this. This is Absolutely. this is the biggest example so far, so clearly, where, I mean, you have 
the most secure, I would say, house in the United States and one of the most secure buildings in the country or in the world where, where they can get a hold of the footage? What are you saying? I mean, they're moving it away from where it seems the most that it's someone from the Biden family or the staff, because the first place that where they said that it was was the nearest to the Oval Office. They keep on changing where it was. Are we supposed to believe them? It's it's insane. This needs to be covered because this is an ongoing scandal. And I'm just waiting for some Secret Service agents, just like we have with, with the FBI, with the whistleblowers. You know, you got a lot of great Secret Service people. They'll be coming out with information. We're going to find out at some point what this story is going to be. And you know what? The media, they're going to be so shocked because the left media, they're saying, oh, this makes sense. We're never going to know who it was. If it was Trump, they'd be That's normal in their world. Oh, yeah, of course. And they should have learned their lesson. I mean, Russian collusion, they were jumping around. Oh, the, the establishment said Russian collusion all the way. Uh, Hunter Biden, Russian information, that laptop. It's coming out that it's true. They're just... Oh, here, everybody, uh, the laptop is actually a real thing. When, the co- when this cocaine thing is going to come out, I mean, what is the w- when the reality is going to come out that they were hiding it because of of, of it being a bias? Because it was, right? I mean, like I was saying that earlier, Alex, I agree with you. I think if this belonged to somebody of little consequence, they wouldn't be covering it up. It's because obviously whoever it belongs to, it's going to embarrass the White House. It's going to embarrass the country. It's going to embarrass the, the, the president. And, you know, it's not a good look. So it's better that we just make this thing go away and we forget about it. But I think the American people want to know. But they'll forget, too, if we don't keep the pressure on and remind them about uh, cocaine gate. Right. The scandal of cocaine in the White House. And and I think that's uh, appropriate. Right. I I think everybody should should be on on their White House knowing asking at least, you know, what is going on? What is the deal? Because people, I think, have a right to know. Right. It's literally the people's house. Anyway, uh, thank you, Alex. I appreciate the call. Let us continue here. Let's go to Jane Saratoga, New York. Jane, go right ahead. Hey, hey, Rich. How are you? Wonderful. Um, okay. Well, hey, where do we begin? Um, well, yes, Biden is just a perverted moron, and that's how that goes. Um, I just wanted to point out, all right, say Starting back, as far back as 30 years ago in Vermont and New Hampshire, when um, Bernie Sanders was really heavy in the government uh-huh. and had some influence, um, he sat back and watched. There were Oriental restaurants who opened pretty good-sized restaurants. They very rarely hired anyone other than women who had no family and many of them had young children. Now, they had total Marxist rule there. These women were given out to people on an everyday basis. And um, the, the, the women part, were given out to people, or they were giving yeah, them, like, yeah, free the, stuff? Yeah, the, the restaurants hired women, and they didn't make any bones about it. These women have no family. So there must be some way for them to make money. And these people made money off of these women. And God forbid, some of their children. And Bernie Sanders implemented complete Marxist rule in those days. I would, I stepped away from the, hmm? It's unbelievable. Oh, it was, I stepped away from the state and a group of us opened, went about child protection in a better way, without the state involved. 
if if you if I would go around and find a job for people who were in subsidized housing and give them some hope, the government would step right in and say, don't take that job. If you do, we're going to take away your housing and your mental health and your medical. And that's what they did to people for a very long time until the entire thing fell through. And what people have to realize, it's going to fall through again. And then people are going to be left high and dry. And that's how that works. And it's all about control. And they tell people, oh, no, no, we're going to take care of you forever. No, they're not. Uh, When it gets tough, it will fall through, and they will dump people. And people will be left with nothing. So I don't mean to be harsh, but... No, listen, I'm, I'm with you. And I think it's, it's a wake-up call that Americans need to hear because there's an alternative, right? We don't have to re-elect Joe Biden. We don't have to go down this road. We can uh, reverse course on a lot of things like drilling and other things where this isn't the end of the world. We just have to be, um, you know, calm, cool, collected, and very calculated in the decisions that we make, making sure that the economy is good. Listen, uh, I oftentimes talk about my buddy, who uh, runs the Cuban place where I get my coffee in the morning. And the other day, you know, he brought something up. And whenever I can, I go on a little tirade. And I go, well, you know, you weren't complaining about that stuff when uh, Trump was in office and the economy was solid. And he's like, well, you know, Trump's not a magician. There's nothing. And I said, you know, Obama said the same thing. And I was explaining to him how there are just some people that are very aggressive. And one of those people that was very aggressive when it came to um, economic growth was Ronald Reagan, right? President Reagan was was really tough on on getting in quickly and making sure that we rolled back enough red tape for people to start saving money and keeping more of their money. And, and, and that's the key. That's the name of the game. You can't just do a little bit. You've got to do a lot. You've got to drill, baby, drill, like Trump said recently. You've got to make sure that you're you're firing on every cylinder to make sure that we're getting where we got to go. And I think, um, you know, any Republican that can bring that to the table is going to fare well. But anyway, my Cuban buddy says, you know what? Well, if you think Trump can do that, I'm willing to take a chance on Trump. And this is a guy who hates Trump. So um, I think the tides are a changing in favor of the Republicans as far as undecided voters go. We'll continue with your calls and more straight ahead. We got calls from Pittsburgh calls from South Carolina and all over the place. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. Revealed by Microsoft, we now know they targeted the U.S. government, they targeted the Commerce Department, they targeted the yeah. State Department. Uh, I spoke with Jake Sullivan about it yesterday. He said you were still investigating. What more have you learned? How serious is it? What are you going to say to the Chinese? 
Well, we took it very, very seriously, and we took actions uh, immediately after to, uh, to try to mitigate the effects of it. Uh, we're obviously taking a fresh look at our systems uh, and our cloud computing uh, capabilities uh, to make sure we can uh, be more resilient in the future. It is still under investigation by the FBI, and I'm afraid I don't have any more information uh, for it now for you today. Uh, but again, we're, uh, we're working real hard to make sure our systems are as resilient as possible. But what does it say to you that this was happening just as Secretary of State Blinken was heading to Beijing? Well, you mean Secretary Yellen, I think. Uh, yes, I mean, look, um, I don't want to get into the attribution on this thing, and I don't want to get uh, ahead of the FBI investigation. I would just say a couple of things. First of all, our networks are attacked every single day by cyber actors, uh, state and non-state actors all around the world. Uh, it is not uncommon for some of those state actors, Russia, Iran, uh, North Korea, China, uh, to be a part of that process. But again, I don't want to get ahead of where we are. Uh, and I don't know that um, it's helpful to try to read too much into uh, the timing of this attack with Secretary Yellen's trip. Secretary Yellen had a good, productive set of conversations with the Chinese. Lines of communication are staying open. That's a good thing. The president wants to focus on getting this relationship in a more stable platform. All right. So there's uh, the conversation between Admiral John Kirby and George Stephanopoulos, ABC News. And the uh, reality here is that Chinese hackers have breached the U.S. government email Uh, through the Microsoft Cloud. And these Chinese state-linked hackers secretly accessed email accounts at around 25 different organizations, including government agencies, in a sweeping cyber espionage campaign. And this is according to Microsoft, and they just reported this yesterday. Microsoft did not say which organizations or governments had been affected by the digital intrusion, but... The White House said the U.S. had reported it to Microsoft. Well, now I feel so much better if Joe Biden picks up the phone and uh, he's like, hello, yeah, yeah, I'm calling. I want to talk to Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah, it's Bill Gates. Hey, Bill, I hope your vaccine research is going good. Say hi to Klaus Schwab for me. Uh, we, we're looking to get hacked right now. All right, we'll make sure you get hacked. You got it, pal. You know, I mean, I don't know what these conversations sound like, but that's what it kind of sounds like to me in my head. Anyway, National Security uh, Council spokesman Adam Hodge said in a statement on Wednesday that an intrusion in Microsoft's cloud security had affected unclassified systems. So that's that. I mean, and this article goes on, but the reality is, uh, and you just heard uh, Kirby say it, we're getting attacked all the time. And he rattled off by who? Russia, Iran, North Korea, China are known to be a part of that process. He said this happens every day. Wow. That's more than I would have uh, banked on. Anyway, let us uh, hit the phones. I see calls are coming in as we speak. Uh, We're going to get to you momentarily. If it's busy, just keep calling back. We will definitely get to you. Uh, Let us go to uh, Steve, Cleveland, Ohio. W-E-O-L. Go right ahead, Steve. Easy listening of the night. How are you, Rich? Wonderful, brother. What's going on? Oh, not bad. Um, Hey, I haven't watched the news, the the mainstream media, for like about two and a half years, but uh, I'll just say a Roku, and if people go through different things, you know, they're uh, different. uh, No plugs, but um, one channel I've been watching, uh, something like, you know, uh, the power invested me, you know, like the minister, but not the minister's name's, uh, Brandon, I mean, Biden, um, calling up reservists, 
And um, I don't know if you heard anything. And, no, I haven't. Uh, where, where is this happening? You're saying uh, state National Guards are calling up reserves? In the, or in the, in the, in the federal government? Area. You, you, uh, well, Biden, because he has the um, the power invested in me. I could do this. I can do that. And uh, um, I'll pay your student loans, but I can't use Chinese money because it hasn't been turned over in a Bitcoin or cash yet. But um, meaning we have people that are being called up. In I heard four hundred and fifty to three hundred to three thousand. Yeah. Well, if I ain't mistaken, we got about a hundred thousand already over in Europe. But when they're calling people up, that means the only I think it's only the army that's keeping up with recruiting right now, if I ain't mistaken. I think that's what I heard. And um so if you can't keep up with recruiting and your officers and the woke bit and all that, you can go through the rest. Um What's his name? That guy, you know, uh, uh, Christy Crane. Um, <laughs> he knows about it, but they are doing stuff here. So it, they're they're calling people up. They're rearranging stuff in the White House, and uh, the cocaine. Well, he's spending an awful lot of time in Europe. I mean, yesterday he was in um, uh, Lithuania. Today he's in uh, Finland, and it's clear to me something's got to budge. Something's got to give. I'm I'm surprised that we haven't seen more action coming out of Biden. Uh, so the fact that he's got uh, 3,000 troops on alert to potentially be deployed to um, Europe uh, is definitely, I mean, concerning to me. I don't think we should be fighting the fight that way. I think this has always been uh, an arms race, and and it could have been handled as such. And to, to send additional troops there, in addition to the ones that he has serving as technical advisors to the uh, Ukrainian troops, uh, sounds like a recipe for uh, injury that we just don't need. Uh, so hopefully that's, you know, not going to go anywhere. Maybe it's a negotiation ploy to get uh, the other team to um, to say, all right, look, these guys are starting to take this seriously. Let's uh, forget about it. I don't know. Maybe, again, that's my own naivete or wishful thinking. Likely a little bit of both. Uh, but I, I think um, a lot of people are not going to be happy to send their kid to um, to fight in any war, you know, let alone a war like this one that has such a um, low level of support from from Americans, and and rightfully so, right? Nobody wants to get this. Isn't our fight per se? I'm not saying we shouldn't fight it, and I'm not saying we shouldn't turn this into. A, I'm saying we we soldiers got to do what they're instructed to do, right? That's what being a soldier is all about. Uh, but I think we have to again manage and mitigate, make sure that. We're doing the best thing that we can do. And I don't know that this is the best way uh, for, for the United States to move forward with Europe. Just just my thought. You know, I think uh, we, we can do it a better way, Matt. Steve, excuse me. Well, you know, you, you know what to do and you're you're on top of it. And all I could say is if um, the guy that used to be on during the day uh, kind of telling on loan from God. Um, ah, L. Rushbo, God bless archi- him. Archives. If you listen to what that man says, one thing he says, if a liberal says they're going to do it, they're not. And if they're not going to do it, it means they are. So they're, they're the opposite of what they say. But basically he's talking about, he knows, everybody that's in the government right now, he knows, what, what did he call uh, Kerry, um, 
uh, Lurch. That's what he nicknamed him. Right, Lurch, yeah. And, uh, Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. i got to stop right here for a quick break. But we're going to come back, and we're going to go to the Lake of the Ozarks, then to South Carolina, and back around the country. The phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Let's look at some of the things that we've learned about what's going on over at HHS that Secretary Becerra is doing. Here's some quotes from employees at HHS. At least five health and human services staff members said that they were pushed out after raising concerns about child safety. This is all from the New York Times, by the way. Mr. Becerra told the Office of Refugee Resettlement Director that if she could not increase the number of discharges of children, he'd find somebody who would. Next, 20% of kids have to be released every week or you get dinged. It's a conveyor belt of children being forced through the system and what's the priority of HHS? Just get them out as fast as we can. They go to factories. Uh, they go to slave labor. No. I've written in the FBI and asked the FBI, where are the 80,000 plus children this administration's lost? They don't know. I've said it's your responsibility to go get them. It's a direct violation of child labor laws. They're not doing anything. Nobody's doing anything. It's outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. And the fact that the administration won't come and sit there and answer questions to this committee is absurd. And it is nothing more than cowardice. They don't want to answer questions. They don't want to be responsible. They don't want to take responsibility for this. So let the record reflect that this administration has let tens of thousands of children be sold into slavery, and they are doing nothing about it. That is Senator Josh Hawley a month ago at a, uh, at a hearing uh, grilling uh, Secretary Becerra and Fascinating that, you know, that's three, four weeks ago already, where we knew then that there were 85,000 children missing from HHS, from the Department of Health and Human Services, from their system, from their account, from the border. And they're still missing. We still haven't gotten this accounting. Now, I'm sure somebody will say, no, well, we have the kids. We just we're just counting them wrong. No, we don't know that. Right. We don't know that we have these kids. The fact that you can bring in 85,000 kids into a country as unaccompanied minors and then lose them and think that people aren't going to ask questions about child trafficking or child slavery, you've got to be out of your mind. you just got to be out of your mind to think that that's okay in any world, in any country. This can't be permitted. We have to, as we the people, have to hold these people accountable to whatever extent we can. I think it's absolutely egregious. Anyway, we're going to go to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's check in with Joe calling from Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. K, 
KRMS. Go right ahead, Joe. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Thank you for taking my call. And if you could bear with me for a few moments so I can kind of give you a little context and then make a right comment. Ahead. First of all, I'm an old dinosaur. I've been walking this planet for almost seven decades. Wow. And this is really nothing new. And you sound because, like a teenager. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I wish I felt that way at this moment. But right <laughs> now it's all kind of, I'm feeling it at the moment. But anyway, I, myself was a child of sexual trafficking. They didn't call it that back then. Actually, back then, they didn't really call it anything because nobody talked about it, God forbid. But my father, and thank God the Internet did not exist so that, you know, I don't have to live with the fact that somebody captured it and it's out there for forever. That's a a redeeming factor for me, not so much for the kids that followed in my footsteps. And even as you and I are speaking, God knows how many kids are even at this moment, as I am speaking, or going through what I went through as a child. But my father shared me for whatever reasons, to get extra drugs, to make a few bucks, God knows what. But it came to an end when I was 10 because he taught me how to shoot and handle a gun. Little did he ever dream that I would turn that on him. And I did because no grown-up seemed to be doing anything about it. Fortunately for me, though, There was a neighbor man that lived up the road who had seen the little girl that should have been in school and was Mm -hmm. in the middle of the afternoon being driven down to the farmhouse where her daddy and his buddies were. He finally showed up the very day that I decided to do what I did. So thank God, God intervened and I didn't do the unthinkable. But I went on to work with groups and to help prosecute people like dear old daddy. But I have to tell you, as life went on, my biologicals did not want me to say anything because, as it was put to me, every family has skeletons they keep in the closet. That's why they keep them in the closet. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And, and I think that when it comes to, to lawmakers, because one of my biological siblings happens to be a lawmaker, not in the same state I'm in, but in another state, and... She has made comments to me like, you're not the only woman that was ever raped. You just need to get over it and get on with your life. And I spent years wishing and saying to myself, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they say. They don't understand. And you really wouldn't want them to understand because the only way they could really understand would mean they'd have to go through it. Mm -hmm. But as the years have ensued and nothing seems to change, you know, I have kind of found myself wishing I had a time machine that I could dial back a little bit. But but honestly, at least in my personal experience, and even when I was working with the courts helping to prosecute people like that, right. it never ceased to amaze me, the people that would come up and say, well, I just don't see what the big deal is. And I think part of the problem and why it is such an issue is because every one of the perpetrators, be it male or the reverse, there are female perpetrators, you know, they are somebody's child, they are somebody's brother or sister, they are somebody's parent, and nobody wants to admit that that monster is in their bloodline. And mm. so it's easier to, to ignore pretend it. pretend it didn't happen. And pretend it didn't happen than to do something to try to face up to it, because what if the day comes when it's somebody that they're related to? But, and that's just my humble observation after all of these years. 
But I know I have personally lived with it every day of my life. I've heard things from my two siblings to the effect of, well, all I know is I didn't have a daddy to go to father-daughter dances with. I didn't have a daddy to walk me down the aisle. And it's like, and people have said, well, it's not like he killed you or anything. You're still alive. Just because there are scars is he still alive? Visible, uh, no. He he has since passed, and so has the mother. Which, by the way, my mother's occupation during part of this was child welfare supervisor for the county I lived in. Wow. So, you know, it, it, when people have that kind of mentality out there, you know that just because you don't have a visible you know, knife scar or a bullet wound right, or, sure. you know, something that they can see doesn't make the scar any less painful. I have been through many years of counseling. I understand my triggers. I was diagnosed way back in the 80s with severe post-traumatic stress. I, get I can it. only imagine I that, that you would have faced a lot of uphill challenges uh, as a result of that, Joe, I could talk to you for hours, and I'm so sorry that you went through what you went through, and uh, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and I'm glad you've healed uh, a great deal since that traumatic ordeal that you described, and I hope you'll call back again and share more with us a little bit about your story, and maybe we can get your number, our producer can get it, and uh, we can invite you back, because it really is uh, quite a story, that, and one I have lots of questions about. Uh, and I thank you for your courage and for sharing it. And we're going to continue with Open Phone America straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Robert, go right ahead quickly. Okay, quickly. I just wanted to let you know that um, the ver- the super rich don't see it the way you do. They don't believe the that owning things is the super rich. They don't believe that owning things is, 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 is particularly good. They believe that the use, the, 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 the authority to use something is better. In other words, would you want a private jet in your own name or would you want it in a corporate name of some corporation's jet that you can use? Would you want a hunting lodge in your own name or would you want it in the name of some corporation where you can use that hunting lodge? Same thing right, with all the other assets. This is like the idea of OPM, other people's money. Yeah, I think you raise a good point there. Uh, you know, somebody once told me that uh, to, to be really wealthy, you have to focus not on paying all of your bills and dying with a bunch of cash in the bank, but dying with your maximum amount of debt ever, because that's when you would be ultimately um, leveraged in the best way. I, you know, I was like, wow, it's contrary to what uh, I've always thought, but probably why I'm not the ultra rich. So thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. And uh, Steve in Atlanta, yes, good point. Our caller, Joe, needs to get out and tell her story. Uh, she does. And we um, we will invite her back to tell that story in a little bit more long-form format because I think uh, there's uh, people need to hear that. And thanks, Steve in Atlanta, on the answer. All right, folks, hasta la próxima. Until the next time, there is more to come straight ahead. Take care, good night, and God bless. I'm Rich Valdez, and I'll be right back tomorrow. 
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.